BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. And we're back. Welcome to Beyond the Scene Season 2, baby. Look, we got a whole new batch of topics for you this season. I'm Roy Wood Jr. And if you don't know, this is the podcast that goes deeper into segments and topics that originally aired on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. This is what you got to think about this. This podcast is a companion piece to The Daily Show. It's the jelly to the peanut butter sandwich. Without us, you're just eating an old piece of bread with peanut butter that sticks to the roof of your mouth. And now your mouth's all dry. And now you're struggling to pour yourself a glass of milk before you choke and die. So you need the jelly. And we bring that sweet goodness to the sandwich. And frankly, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to let you enjoy that joke just a second longer. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed your summer travel because today we're talking about the role of flight attendants and how they face turbulent times during the pandemic. See what I did there? Flight, turbulent. Give me the clip. For years, flight attendants in America have complained about, well, two things. Uh, one, idiots who press the call button when they meant to turn on the lights. And two, <laughs> the way they get paid. Well, now, finally, Delta Airlines is taking care of one of those issues. Flight attendants with Delta will soon be getting paid a little bit more money. The airline says it'll now start paying cabin crews during boarding. Up until now, flight attendants did not start getting paid until the passengers were seated and the plane's doors closed. That was the moment that their pay started. Delta says the change will start June 2nd as the company faces the possibility of its more than 20,000 flight attendants forming their own union. The change could increase some attendants' wages by several thousand dollars every year. Yeah, believe it or not, flight attendants in America do not get paid during the boarding process, which is crazy. Just think about it. You're at work, doing work, but your boss is like, nah, this is your free time. (laughs) (laughs) What, I only pay you when the doors are closed? That's wild. It also sucks for flight attendants on Spirit Airlines because they don't even have doors. What do they do? (laughs) Do they work for free? How does that shit work? Today, I'm joined by... Emmy-nominated Daily Show writer Kat Ratley. Kat is a traveling comedian who's been on, like, I don't know, 14 flights in the last few weeks. So you are an expert on air travel. Kat, how you doing? Yeah, I would say expert slash uh, survivor. <laughs> it's, uh, I got PTSD from 14 flights in, I think, five weeks. Um, Lord. So, yeah, it was... It was terrible. I don't know how you guys do it. (laughs) That's just an average week, Kat. I know. I was like, should I just collect a paycheck and help out? Like, I'm here so much. (laughs) 
Also joining us, the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, Sarah Nelson. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. All right, Sarah, let's jump right in. What are the issues facing flight attendants and the airline industry right now? And how many of those challenges are because of the pandemic? Well, look, the pandemic created problems for sure, and we're seeing the COVID effect right now. But a lot of the problems that you're seeing in the airline industry were created pre-pandemic, and it's really about uh, greed. It's about corporate greed. After the bankruptcies following on to 9-11, contracts were slashed, people were working harder for less, pensions were terminated. Uh, There were a lot of bad things that happened. But uh, when the airlines started making money again, uh, 2016, 2017, and they were really cooking after the mergers and making a lot of money, uh, all that uh, the financiers wanted to do was to get more of those profits in their hands. So even while they were making billions of dollars, uh, the, the the people on Wall Street were demanding that they give them even more in stock buybacks. And so you may have seen uh, a lot of those headlines about all the stock buybacks that airlines gave going into the pandemic, which meant that they didn't have cash on hand to be able to handle this massive drop in demand. And the entire industry almost collapsed. So what we're seeing now is the effects of what they were doing based on corporate greed prior to the pandemic. And that was cutting staffing level levels to a bare minimum, uh, counting on people with overtime hours to make the operation run. Now you have people who are getting sick because of COVID, and so they can't work those overtime hours. Or uh, they're so tired out because it's become such a conflict on board. And everyone is essentially a first-time flyer today, so that makes the job of a flight attendant much, much harder Uh, which is part of why we love that segment uh, from The Daily Show so much uh, about that boarding process. I'm going to give these flight attendants a lot of credit because let me tell you something, man. People fly all the time. You see these people working hard, but I didn't know that they weren't getting paid while the plane... I didn't know that. They're really patient people. If I was working for free (laughs) during the whole boarding process, I would have been way less friendly than... Yo, I would have been in that airport like... Zone one, zone one. Get the hell up on the plane right now. Hurry up, I'm trying to get paid. Move, 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 move. Move your dumb ass. Put your thing on the thing there, man. And I swear, yo, I swear, I swear, if any of you broke ass zone four mother- even trying to get in the line right now, I will have the TSA waterboard your ass. Get back, zone four. Sit down. You know who you is. Every time we go to board a flight, it's questions from everybody. Nobody knows the plan. They don't have 30% of the population that used to fly, uh, showing them how things are done and and creating kind of a follow the leader uh, situation. And so it is really, really tough. It's really tough because we don't have enough people. And that was really created pre-pandemic, but now we've got the COVID effect making it worse. In the airline's defense, those CEOs, they have a family of yachts to feed. So, you know, they <laughs> they do need the money. Yeah, yeah. No, I got to tell you. Um, so I am really proud of something that our union did, though, and, and the rest of the aviation unions. And this happened only in the airline industry because we're 80 percent union. And so we have the power to do it. But we capped their pay. So their pay is capped until March of 2023. And we banned stock buybacks until September 30th of this year. But it's about to get a lot worse. I'm, I'm, we're starting to talk about this. We're talking about this with lawmakers, that if you're, if you're complaining about the operation now, it's about to get a lot worse when you have that stress from Wall Street saying that they want to take even more profits out 
just at a time when they really need to be reinvesting in the frontline worker and in the infrastructure of the airlines. Um, so I'm about to get real serious here, but I'm also, you know, the, the, this is a, this is a problem with Wall Street greed and it's certainly the CEOs and, and, you know, their family of yachts. Um, but, but it's also much bigger pressure from hedge fund managers who yeah. are making billions of dollars. And the CEOs are kind of little fish in a big pond today. So during the pandemic, we saw almost half a million airline workers either furloughed or let go or fired or forced into early retirement. And now we need those people because the demand has gone up. Why can't we just go back and get the, do we really need because I saw where the Delta pilots were protesting in, in Atlanta in yeah. front of Hartsfield Jackson earlier this year. And they like, yo, you're working us to the bone. We yeah. cannot cover all of these shifts. Can't we just go? <laughs> yeah. This is what I'm saying, Sarah. I see the movies where they go find people <laughs> in the mountains and they go, the country needs you. Come on back. <laughs> Why is the solution not as easy and just going back and getting the people who you let go? Well, look, um, first of all, not all those people were let go. One of the things that we talked about was you got to keep people in place because in the airline industry, these are highly skilled jobs. They're certified safety uh, positions. And it takes a long time to have the training in place to be able to get people into these positions. So the Delta pilots are right. I mean, the airline industry was counting on incredible overtime hours from everyone and people are worn out. They're worn out from this pandemic. They're worn out from getting sick. They're worn out from all the effects on their families and their communities from the pandemic. Um, we kept people in place, except that Congress had a lapse in funding from October 2020 to December 2020. And guess what? That created a major backlog in the training departments to be able to get everybody back on the schedule and back in place. And in, in addition to that, like I said, they created this problem pre-pandemic by staffing levels, uh, by cutting those staffing levels so low. So what the Delta pilots are saying is essentially what 700,000 workers across the airline industry are saying. Uh, we put contract negotiations on hold in 2020 because it wasn't a good time to be uh, talking about contract improvements. But today, guess what? We had a, a inflation go through the roof. We got to attract people to these jobs. We got to get them into the pipeline, get them into the training center so that we can start that process of staffing up. And if we don't have, you know, good pay and benefits to attract people to these jobs, there's no way we're going to make that work either. So we have a short term problem with not enough staff right now and not mm -hmm. enough support for the people in the operation to be able to do their jobs. And then a long term problem is just going to keep compounding the longer they wait to negotiate these contracts and make things better. So what we have is a labor crisis, which more often than not is not funny because at, it, at its core, it is people not being given the opportunity to provide. So, Kat, how do you make that funny? You all did a segment. <laughs> it was called, I think, what was it, uh, the, the Throwdown for Air? Throwdown uh, Air. Yeah, Throwdown yeah. Air. The Airline for Assholes. Just explain <laughs> that segment and what inspired I that. It definitely came at that time. I want to say it, it was, you know, like one year ago, like mid 2021, when people were starting to fly again. And every time you went on Twitter, there was a new video of passengers going crazy, fighting with each other, fighting over, uh, fighting with the flight attendants. Like every day there was like a new TikTok video of a passenger losing their shit and being a total asshole on a plane. So I don't know who pitched the idea or if it kind of came as a, a group mentality, but to do an ad for like an airline where, hey, let's let all these air 
assholes fly, but like put them on one plane um, and just let them beat the shit out of each other. Do you want to travel and take out your pent up pandemic aggression on customer service employees? Hell yeah, you do. But society won't let you punch a flight attendant until now. Throw down air. Once the wheels are up, the shit goes down. It was super fun. It was a kind of thing like one of our like head writers kind of wrote the script up, but it was one of those things where all the writers got to then go into the script and just like punch up and add jokes wherever they wanted to kind of, you know, add the color to it. One thing I was proud of, I did come up with the tagline. When the wheels go up, the shit goes down. So I was, <laughs> that was my contribution to the piece. I, I got to tell you, Kat, uh, we really appreciate that because we got a major uh, relief at a time when things were really stressful. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's it was, scary for you guys. Those videos yeah. are you. Your job is to keep everyone else safe and now having to keep yourselves safe, too. And yeah. these people are fucking assholes. Like, yeah. As someone yeah. who's been in the airport and, like, seen, like, these assholes out in the wild, like, I used to, <laughs> like, Roy and I have both been traveling for a while, but I, it's like, they've, people have gotten worse. People have become worse human beings out in public over the past two years. I do think that part of it is, like, I have a, I have a theory is that anybody in a form of service industry, the job of flight attendant is not exclusively service, it is part of it. So it falls to me in that same realm as as a waiter or a fast food worker in a sense that in my mind you're here to do a service for me and whatever whatever stressors are happening to me outside of this moment i could be having a bad boss i like in those moments i feel like that is the one opportunity that the customer gets to be the boss because someone else is bossing them or something is stressing them so i'm going to take it all out on you and i would i would argue that a lot of those moments are not solely exclusive to oh, the waiter gave me bad service, I got my order wrong. It's that you had a bad day, you have a chip on your shoulder, you have bigger things, untherapied, you have all types of stuff going on in your life and you're taking it out on what amounts to essentially as an innocent bystander. Sarah, what, what do you think are some of the factors that contribute to all of this unruly behavior? I know, I'm sure in-flight cocaine, you all probably need to take that out. <laughs> Oh, y'all we don't need to have take that off of the menu. We're going to get to Denver yeah. real fast, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might like you, that. Um, what do you yeah. think contributes to all of this? Uh, well, I mean, I think, listen, the stressors of the pandemic were huge. And having people be first-time flyers um, where nobody knows what the program is was a major problem. You're, you know, you're comparing this also to the what people on the front lines were facing, whether they were in a grocery store or working a restaurant job or whatever else. And... The only difference here is that for us, we're, we're there primarily for your safety, let me be very clear. And so if you act out on a plane, it's a federal offense. And one of the things that we said over the last two years is start prosecuting, make this a priority, prosecute, sit some butts in jail. And that finally started to happen. Biden gave uh, direction to Merrick Garland to make this a priority. They made it a priority. They had an MOU with FAA about getting the reports over so they could speed up the process of investigating and prosecuting. And we finally just got some people sent to jail. And I got to tell you, it has a chilling effect. 
And so other people get the point. And Kat, I got to say, you know, putting all the assholes on one plane is um, is great. Like, it's funny and we love it. And um, we got a huge release from that. But there's also some truth in it. There's thousands of flights that take off every single day. And frankly, this was a handful of people making a problem for everyone mm-hmm. on board. And, and, making, and making the evening news every night. And making it look like this is like everybody who's flying is out of control. And it's actually not true. Um, the, the truth is that most people come. They want to follow the rules. They want to have a safe, uneventful flight. And they want and they and they look to flight attendants for that leadership. And what happened for us during this time was that a few people were making it really difficult for us to express that leadership, keep things in order, especially when everybody was essentially a first time flyer and everybody needed instruction. And there were fewer of us, more passengers than ever before. How do we how do we expedite that process because i know alcohol plays a role in it i know oh, some yeah. some some airline bars yeah. like in shout out to new orleans uh <laughs> charles de gaulle that airport oh my goodness no louis armstrong in new orleans it, like i know alcohol plays a role in curtailing access to alcohol before you board a flight but why can't we just get a no-fly list? Why is it so hard oh, to yeah. just establish it? If you don't, if you act stupid on a plane, you can't fly anybody. You can't fly anyone. You know, this is or this just is insane spirit. because yeah. <laughs> I know you can't oh laugh God. at that. Listen, I know I the spirit flight attendants. They would not be happy about that. Um, even though they would go, oh, come on, guys. Um, but is, and it's rough flying spirit because they promote that, right? Come fly spirit for the first time every time. Yeah, that's um, where the peak assholes go to fly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shout out to those flight attendants. They have it, they have it actually, I think, harder than anybody else. Um, but, you know, um, we worked really hard to get attention on this and, and to get a no-fly list. And the, the thing that is was incredible to us. You guys could probably was, just make it yourselves. You're like, I got Jerry on here. Jerry, Greg. We're done. Jerry's yeah. done. Yeah. He's done. Um, no more coming on the plane drunk. Can't do that, Jerry. And by the way, that is a federal regulation. Like uh, Some of this stuff was like, airports, do your job. Put the signs up. Don't push alcohol on people. Uh, we had a huge problem because uh, airports were trying to make money and they figured out during the pandemic with to-go alcohol that, oh, wow, this is a way we can make money. So we're going to actually, we're going to actually push this and tell people you can order alcohol at the gate. I mean, it was insane. Yeah, and the robot, JFK has a robot that brings oh, you. I mean, yeah, this is not helpful. This is not, and it's not exactly sending the right message. So, um, so anyway, we, here we tried to get this no fly list. I mean, if you act out on a plane, if you punch somebody on a plane, uh, you don't get to go on another plane. It's that simple, right? And we had all these people who were so for the terrorist no-fly list, right? Um, like mm-hmm. Ted Cruz, who's like, oh, no, we don't want to do this. Because he was really afraid that this was the people that he was representing who were a problem. He wouldn't be allowed um, to so, fly to Cancun. Yeah, that was so, his fear. Yeah. So all of, a, all of a sudden, yeah. All of a sudden, these people who were like, yeah, aviation, let's have a no-fly list. And let's be really, like, strict on these people. And let's, you know, treat this like everybody's in the military. All of a sudden, they were like, oh, no, we can't do this. We're going to violate people's civil rights to be assholes on planes. So anyway, that's why we don't have a no-fly list right now for these people um, is because those people stood in the way of getting it done. As an experienced drinker, I apologize on behalf of all of my fellow alcoholics because I can have my three beers before our flight 
get on and be perfectly pleasant. So listen, if people out there, if you know you can't handle your booze, save it for when you land. Hey, and listen, listen, Kat, I, I get that you are an experienced drinker and, and you've been trying this out on the last 14 flights that you took, right? Yes. The, the, yeah, I'm a exactly, pro. Exactly. Okay. All right. So we're just going to, we're just going to give you that badge. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but other people, listen, 8,000 feet in the air, reduced oxygen. They think they're pro drinkers. They get up in the air. It's a different story. Uh, in the year 2021, there were more than 7,000 incidents of this nature of varying degrees of severity in the yeah. air, according to the uh, FAA. Now, to, in Kat's defense, Sarah, Kat is a former <laughs> high school teacher. So I don't know if there's some sort of drink <laughs> exemption clause that you can <laughs> yeah. grant her. You yes. Know, teachers, which, former enough, teachers. Yeah. Anything oddly goes. enough, Kat, you know, that's an industry that's also primarily made up of women who mm -hmm. are doing jobs outside of their job description. Like teachers have to do so much more than just teach. So on the flight attendant side of that, Sarah, what are some things about that occupation that you wish more people just knew that you don't think we know? Well, I got to say, I mean, you're, you're bringing up two professions that have been traditionally defined as um, women's work. <laughs> um, and because of that, uh, the professions have been devalued. Uh, we make less than you might think. And there's a lot of flight attendants that because of that, here's something that people should know. Um, most flight attendants commute by air to work because they cannot afford to live in the expensive hub cities where they're based. So wow. when, when these flights are full, that means that probably a crew member is not getting on the flight that they need to get on so that they can get to work and crew your next flight. Um, so oh. yeah, it's, do they get uh, charged it, for that or do they get to fly for free to get to work? Well, um, you know, we get to fly for free if there's a seat available oh. and w you know, with all the automation and at the last minute selling seats, it's unbelievable. I mean, you can plan, uh, like we have for decades on getting to work on time and be watching these flights and they'll be half empty and you show up the next day at the gate and it's like completely full. Wow. Not to mention the fact that the airlines have had to pull back some flights at the last minute because they overpromised. They were trying to, you know, um, schedule all these flights so they can compete with each other and get that market share at each airport. And they overpromised and couldn't deliver, had to pull back. So there's a cascading effect, not just for the passengers, but then if crews can't get to work, that makes things even worse, right? So you have to do conflict de-escalation you gotta be a first responder in case the conflict doesn't de-escalate you've got to know how to get people off the plane yeah. then i would imagine at this point are y'all taking combat training because like the air marshal <laughs> might not be able to get to you and from so what i heard the air marshal ain't on every flight they're not on every flight we're not supposed to tell you which flights they're on uh but they... i always try to guess i'm always like <laughs> It's you. It's you. It's always My, the baby. You never think, but it's always the baby. Those babies, man, you got to watch out. They are tough. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, we actually take training from the air marshals. Uh, we we got this training uh, just after 9-11. We were the first ones killed on 9-11, flight attendants were. Um, and uh, so we got this training, and then um, it was mandatory. The airlines had to provide it. 
and Continental Airlines at the time complained to George Bush, <laughs> and uh, he found a way to make it voluntary. And so then, of course, none of the airlines provided it because it was voluntary. Uh, so we got uh, through TSA, the air marshals, to put together a program where we have crew member uh, self-defense training. And it's voluntary for us to go get it, but at least the training exists. And I got to tell you, over the last two years, the sign up on those classes went through the roof because uh, flight attendants were like, yeah, I need a little self-defense training here to be able to do my job every day. So now can you use a seatbelt like a nunchuck? Like you can just... Listen, the stuff that we learn in these classes is awesome. And um, they also, the air marshals will say, you know... Uh, rules of engagement in combat are off here. Like flight attendants, look around your surroundings. What can you use to destroy someone? Wow. <laughs> but you don't you don't have any time and you don't have any space and it's you or them. <laughs> yeah. So. And the duct taping thing is legit, right? You guys can duct tape people to seats. Like Oh, I've seen I've seen, oh, I've so, seen those videos. Know, here's what's amazing about this. So it's not actually duct tape, um, the airlines would argue, it is um, restraint tape. So let's be really uh, clear. Okay? <laughs> it's restraint uh, tape. Um, yes. <laughs> but some of the airlines have <laughs> have tough cuffs on board, but I have to tell you, everything goes down to a cost item. Um, so they have to have some sort of restraint device for the crew members, and uh, the restraint tape is the cheapest. So the airlines that only have the restraint tape, basically we're making a decision um, to have the lowest cost item for restraining Got someone it. when they get out of control. And so that's why you saw in Frontier that the, the passenger was taped to a seat because that's what the flight attendants had. I could have used duct tape in my classroom once or twice, duct tape a kid to a chair, but they frown on that. <laughs> Uh, you said you were an ex-teacher, right? <laughs> and that's why she's out of education. <laughs> After the break, I want to talk a little bit about union busting because I know that having a union is going to be one important piece of the puzzle. I also want to talk about how the role of the flight attendant has evolved. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. 
the role of flight attendant, like, it's evolved over the years, but there's been a history of sexism within your industry. And, you know, Kat, you're in entertainment. It's perfectly fine. There's no sexism over there. No, it's very um, healthy. Yeah, you, you can't relate to this. I'm only talking about serious. No, I'll sit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> is the sexism and gender discrimination, is that still prevalent today in that industry, Sarah? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're still breaking through. I mean, when the Me Too movement broke, I said to our comms people, I said, get ready, the phone's going to ring. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, because uh, media is going to look around and say, who can we talk to who maybe has experienced sexual harassment on the job? And they're going to, the first thing they're going to say is, let's call the flight attendants. Because everybody knows, because we were not just objectified in our workplace, like, in a normal way. I mean, much like the entertainment industry, um, we were sold. We were sold as sex objects. We were totally objectified. So people think that they can own us. They think that they can treat us a certain way. I've been a flight attendant for 26 years. And I know what it's like to just do my job all day long and have people get my attention by tapping me on the rear end or um, come up to me in the galley and start asking me about my hottest layover or start or come up and start trying to massage me or touch me. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, they think they can do it. They think they think. And when we have fewer staff on board to be able to deal with this, it's frankly really hard because our job is to de-escalate all these issues in the air. I mean, you can't pull the plane aside and tell someone to get off. Um, you got to keep the temperatures down. So a lot of times uh, we did a big survey in our union and the response that we got from flight attendants was, well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't report it. Um, and I kind of just have to put up with it because um, there's, I don't have time even uh, to be able to mm. deal with this. So there's a lot of problems there. And and we've made some huge strides in the last several years. And I want to really thank the women who broke the Me Too movement because that gave us some space to push forward. Um, prior to that, frankly, the women who were my mentors and who built this union uh, knew that no one was ever going to make space for us at the table, that management uh, held us in contempt. In fact, my very first week on the job, I was told, listen, management thinks of us, oh, and from a raspy voice of a flight attendant who had been around smoking her entire career because we had just gotten rid of smoking, right? And so she said, listen, management thinks of us as their wives or their mistresses. And in either case, they hold us in contempt. Your only place of worth is with your fellow flying partners. And if we stick together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. And I got to say, you know, my my union was filled with a bunch of badass women who cut a path for us, but we never expected to get that respect from the public, from management, from anyone else. We were just going to take it for ourselves for what we Mm -hmm. could. And so when the Me Too movement broke, that opened up space for us to be able to push farther and say to management, this is unacceptable. In fact, I wrote a letter to CEOs and said, you need to take this moment and denounce the sexist past of this industry, uh, say that there is a zero tolerance policy and hold up flight attendants as safety professionals. And three of them did it. <laughs> so we made some progress there. Uh, and we got some legislation through too. Um, but we got a long ways to go. It's interesting that like your job is to like deescalate on the plane. So like if you get sexually harassed, you just want to like kind of calm the temperature and move on, which is interesting because that's kind of like what women are just trained to do in every scenario. Like, cause usually it's, you know, a man harassing a woman. So usually it's, you know, they have the physical size or strength advantage in most cases. 
So like we're just kind of women are in general just trained to usually just kind of deescalate, not make a big deal about it because you don't want it to become worse than maybe just an ass tap or something like that. So it makes sense that you guys are deescalating for your safety and for everyone on the plane where I feel like that's just such an innate thing for a woman to do anyway. Like you guys are probably like, oh, yeah, we're used to having to do that anyway, because I feel like women are always having to do that. Absolutely. But I have to tell you, I mean, we're trying to change that. When we talk about the sexism within the industry, within your industry and, you know, Kat, jump in if it was similar to school teacher. I'm a child of an educator. My mother has been in education for 30 years. But it's it always seemed to me like flight attendants also had some level of regulation from the bosses on appearance. Has that changed from the past until the present? You know, like Hooters, like there was a Hooters airline. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. that was that was weird. But how is yeah. the regulation on women's outfits? How has that evolved over time? Oh, my God. I mean, it used to be that every single flight attendant was handed the same pair of three inch heels that they had to wear, for example. Um, and there were paper uniforms and um, marketing ads with uniforms where you take off different pieces of clothing throughout the flight. It was called the airstrip. And so there were mm. all these <laughs> uniforms. Oh, and girdle checks. Like there used to be, you used to have to come and get girdle checks before you could go fly. And it was another way that you could sort of legally get harassed by management um, and put aside and, and then weight checks. I mean, we had to step on a weight scale until 1993. Oh, my um, gosh. So, I'm yeah. sorry. So if they wanted to humiliate someone, they would be like, step on over here to the scale in front of everyone, weigh you in front of everyone. Um, and they just have you I get started, on the baggage scale. They're like, jump on. We'll do you next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You're over the limit. You're going to yeah. have to pay 50 bucks. So, yeah. um no, I mean, it was it was really, no, you're going to lose your job is what it was. Um, or we're going to put you on the weight program. Um, and so you're going to have to weigh in before every trip and you're going to have to do that in front of everyone. Um, flight attendants were pressured and even sometimes coerced by managers to take speed to try to lose weight. Um, these, these are all the things that we had to fight through. And even by the time I was hired, luckily we had gotten... Uh, the worst parts of that behind us. But when I was hired in 1996, you had to wear two inch heels in the concourse. You had to go, I had to go through a day of makeup class where the men got the day off and the women had to not only go to learn how to put makeup on, but then you got judged every day about whether or not you had the makeup on. And if you didn't have makeup, like I was this sort of granola girl from Oregon, um, just like totally clueless. Um, they made you buy it. So you had to also spend your own money to buy the makeup that they were trying it's to sell sexy. you there. I'm sorry, is this a nightclub or a flying tube? I'm just trying to get somewhere. Yeah. Why do I have to flirt with the men and then turn around and you wonder why the men are grabbing asses? Well, well exactly. And then they tell you, oh, you're lucky. You were one of 2,000 people who applied for this position and lines around the block. So you're totally replaceable, too. So don't think about getting out of line, you know, so. complaining about these things. The dress code for teachers, I will say, was opposite. We were not allowed to show any cleavage and had to have long dresses. And I actually remember one day I had like a new dress that like my mom sent me and I like put it on without trying it on first. And when I got to school, I realized that it was like super low cut and like my <laughs> boobs were hanging out. And I was like, oh, shit, what do I do? So I, cause I taught high school and you guys, I'm oh, super no. hot. So oh, I had no. to 
I went and got toilet paper and tried to create <laughs> like a, a fake tank top to like cover my cleavage, but it was just like toilet paper. And I was like, I think this might be worse. So <laughs> opposite problem. Teacher, my guy from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but much like stand-up comedy cat, the flight attendant industry has no standardized guidance on how to report sexual abuse from customers. So when we talk about unionization, which also is something that's been impossible to happen in the world of stand-up. Yeah. What are the strategies, Sarah? Because, like, you see what's happening with Amazon, you know, and Starbucks, where their employees are gaining a little bit of ground. And, you know, right now, as it stands right now, Delta's the only major U.S. airline without a flight attendants union. And, you know, and they they announced the, what was it, earlier this year, hey, we'll pay you while the door is open on the plane. Halftime. Ain't that nice? <laughs> that was insane to me. I had no idea that was a thing. That you're yeah. not getting paid during boarding? That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. when half of the shit goes down. That's the worst yeah. part. I mean, this so, is why we organize, right? So okay, this- so the, to, that, to that point, Sarah, is what Delta, is what they're doing. Because Starbucks and them, you see what Starbucks is doing. Starbucks is like, oh, we're just going to close it. Oh, y'all trying to unionize? Oh, that's Joven out of business fund to perform it. Whereas Delta, is what Delta is doing is that part of a strategy to distract from unionization efforts or is it a step in the right direction? Oh, it's both. I mean, so we we were thrilled. This is going to set a new standard. I mean, if we keep organizing and we're all at the table right now, I've talked to other CEOs and I'm like, you realize they're all going to have to pay boarding pay now. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. And I said, and you realize uh, at the negotiating table, we're going to demand more than Delta's paying. Yeah, we know, we know. <laughs> so um, this is what's going to happen. And um, it, this is not a demand that really came to the table prior to 9-11. Uh, because we didn't, boarding just wasn't as hectic. You had more flight attendants. This wasn't something that was a huge requirement. Instead, what we did was we bargained for uh, pay protections so that would have formulas to make sure that we're getting a, a minimum number of flight hours because our, our pay is normally based on flight hours. And we were exempted from um, the Fair Labor Standards Act. That's the problem. 1938. Uh, the Congress set the standard here that pushed us out of any of the duty um, hour and uh, rest regulations that a normal worker might get. So during this time, staffing was cut. Our planes got uh, a lot fuller. The, the mergers happened prior to the pandemic. And they cut a lot of capacity out of the industry. So it got harder and harder and harder for flight attendants, not to mention the fact that our union was really successful in doing things like making sure that we have defibrillators on board. So our responsibilities around health care of the passengers just increased. Our security duties increased after 9-11. Everything got harder, um, but we weren't getting paid. And so, yeah, we're going to get paid now. So is this is this good or is this a bad thing? It's a great thing. And we're saying, great, this is why we organized. Delta did it to try to stave off the union drive. And we're so used to that. So they did it thinking they were going to kill the union drive. 
actually what happened, um, it totally backfired on Delta because what you were saying is exactly what happened. Delta thought they were going to get heralded as the heroes and flight attendants were going to say, oh, we don't need a union because our management treats us so well. And instead, the public was like, you weren't paying flight attendants during boarding? What the hell? (laughs) And then they said, but we're the only ones. And then the answer was still, you weren't paying flight attendants during (laughs) boarding? And um, so frankly, I actually think that it just made our organizing drive pick up more steam because the flight attendants started to feel their power about what they could achieve when they came together and, and started trying to form the union. And sure enough, Delta did something that they said just three months earlier, they would never do. Um, so th- when people start to feel their power and start to actually experience that they can make change, that only gets people more committed to getting that done. So uh, the, the organizing campaign is just picking up steam, but Delta intended the opposite effect. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> what is it, the four D's of union busting? Is it divide? divide, delay, distract, and demoralize? Yes. Destruct. Oh no, not destruct. Okay, distract. <laughs> okay. demolish. <laughs> yeah, we can probably add two more D's. <laughs> so, the, who's driving that? Before we get to the break and start talking solutions, who are the people that have been at the core of this change? when it comes to unionizing, this grassroots effort uh, that's going on, you know, what would you say is the general makeup of this group of, of, of employees? It's called people who know that no one laid out the red carpet for them. I mean, miners are on strike in Alabama for the same things that they fought for 100 years ago. The eight-hour day, vacation, sick time, a secure retirement, health care that's affordable. I mean, all of the things that they were fighting for 100 years ago have been extracted from the workplace. And so people are understanding that more and more corporate power is a bad thing. And it's more and more inequality. And it's less and less opportunity for people. And so the same reasons that people formed unions 100 years ago are the same reasons that unions are popular today. That average people, uh, working people, the vast majority of people in this country, the working class, um, know that nothing's, nothing else is working. They, you know, they can keep going to the polls and voting for people, but as long as the, uh, the political process keeps getting tied up by the people with all the money, Nothing's going to change. doesn't matter how popular an idea it is. 90% of the public loves it. But, you know, 1% of the public says it's not going to happen because it's not good for us. Then it's not going to change. And the only way to tackle capitalism is to tackle capital where it exists in the workplace. So, you know, who can take on a billionaire? Well, Chris Smalls, you know, somebody who organizes their union can take on a billionaire. And that billionaire doesn't have to answer to anybody else. After the break... I want to talk solutions. And Kat, I want to talk to you about the things that you all weren't able to leave in the piece because of everything we've covered just now. How do you boil that down into just a couple of minutes with Trevor? We are talking flight attendants and the importance of adding in-flight shrooms (laughs) to the food menu. (laughs) Beyond the scenes. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're dealing with an industry, Sarah, where, you know, greedy CEOs always undercutting the bottom line and making issues harder for you, which makes it harder for passengers who make it harder for you. The flight attendants who are there in their face. And then when you try to unionize, they undercut you by offering you crumbs. What can be done to improve the working conditions? And Kat, did you all explore that at all when you all were writing this segment in the show? Because it's so hard sometimes at The Daily Show where you can either talk about the causation or you can talk about the solution, but we rarely have time for both within a single piece. Did you find that to be the issue here? Yeah, I mean, for this especially, it was like the, and a lot of times it's about a responding emotionally. And this, like the emotions of the videos, like looking at the anger of the passengers and seeing the real threats that were facing flight attendants, I feel like we wanted to kind of capture the emotion that probably most viewers feel when they see that, especially as most people have had the experience of flying so they can relate. It's it's something everybody can relate to. So I think for this piece, we wanted to kind of get at that emotion of uh, the pent up rage everybody's been feeling, but also like how to express that. I feel like it kind of came at a time where we were doing a lot of pieces of kind of like how to get back to real life and what does that look like? So I feel like we kind of came at it from that angle of like airlines and this industry is one more industry hit by the pandemic and also one more part of life that people are having to learn how to do again. So I think we kind of took it from that approach because yeah, getting to what causes this? What are the solutions? I mean, we could do a whole week of shows on that kind of stuff. Sarah, you talked about what your union is doing from the legislative side, but what can we do? Just regular people. Me, Roy, gold medallion flyer. Ooh, brag I- much? Gold medallion flyer. Wow. It was platinum, and then they closed all the comedy clubs, and I lost some of my status. What can we do to support flight attendants, Sarah? Okay. So I'm going to give some real practical things and then uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what the long term impact is here. Other than free massages I- <laughs> near the cockpit. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, frankly, recognize us as human beings. So one of, one of the problems is that we don't even connect anymore as human beings. So when you're getting on a plane, just put the phone down a second. Let us know that you see us, we see you, and let us know that you have our backs. So if something goes down on the plane, we know, you know who our helpers are. That's, that's a huge help right there immediately on the plane. 
And then um, let us know when something is going wrong. When you see something brewing, let us know as soon as possible because there's fewer of us to see these things anymore. And the sooner we can get to issues and try to deescalate, the better off we're going to be. Um, but long term, you know, frankly, uh, there's a contract of carriage that you uh, sign off on when you buy your ticket. And any CEO would not go to work for an airline without their own contract and very clear about what they're going to make. And so talking to flight attendants about having their contract and getting engaged in their union and, um, <clears throat> you know, giving us the power to fight for our workspace because that's your travel space, too. Um, that's really helpful. And so cheering people on who are unionizing and cheering people on who are in contract negotiations, um, that's helpful for the flight attendants. And frankly, it's going to be helpful for you as a passenger, too. So we shouldn't just okay. board our planes like, yeah, hey. <laughs> I'll tell you one of my solutions to help flight attendants. They got to stop putting y'all in them vests. Nobody respects a vest. We we got to we got to <laughs> overhaul the uniform. You got to go club bouncer, single secret service earpiece, bomber jackets. What, that black bomber jacket zipped to the collar, zipped all the way up. If you if it's like nightclub bouncer type energy, mm -hmm. I guarantee you people respect it. Listen, that's uh, right. You are combining two of my favorite things right now because, um, you know, the four D's, we talked about that before, the union busting. So even if the union's there, management's still trying to bust the union all the time with, uh, you know, divide, delay, distract, and demoralize. So distracting. Whenever there's contract negotiations, that's when they bust out plans for a new uniform because they're hoping it's totally wow. going to distract people. So you are bringing wow. my two things and putting them together. <laughs> so you're saying that some of the time when airlines change uniforms, that's basically a couple going through some issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He bought me a yeah. new ascot. He says he loves me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we got these uniforms. You know what? I'm, I hope that the uniform committees at every airline, the uniform, the union uniform committees are watching this and they're going to get some ideas because, <laughs> you know... <laughs> The uniforms always end up being um, a huge problem in terms Who wears of. Where's a vest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people. Magicians, <laughs> valet parkers. Like, these are not people you're intimidated by. <laughs> uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Sarah. And it's a cliche question, but you're here and you've done this for many, many years. So why not ask you? Mm. What's the weirdest experience you've had <laughs> as a flight attendant? And you've got a bevy of things. We didn't even get into emotional support peacocks today. Oh, but what? Yeah. What's the weird? What's the weirdest thing? Like, give uh, give us one that stands out, all time great. I know. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull from my personal repertoire because, of course, I get all the reports and I can tell you all the weird things. But you know, <laughs> the weirdest one was when I was working a flight out of Vegas and it was an overnight flight. And Vegas, I had two say no brand more. new flight attendants who were with me. And, yeah, yeah. So this guy comes on. He's like 6'6", 350 pounds. And we're just trying to make space for everything. And like I said, I had these two. They were the first week on the job, these two other flight attendants I was working with. 
And then um, he starts acting up right after we take off. He goes in the bathroom, starts smoking, um, and it just keeps escalating. Then he pees all over one of the bathrooms, one of the labs. We had to lock that off. And then he decided he was going to, like, pee on the back door. Um, then he was going to try to open the back door. Then he decided he was going to do a strip tease in the middle of the aisle because, you know, all the all the families with little kids that were on the plane thought that was really cool. Um, and I'm He's looking six, around. Six, this is like world's strongest man to oh, yeah. physique. Yeah. And I'm looking around. Remember I said, you know, put your phone down so I know you might be a helper. I'm looking around. Who are my helpers on this flight? I'm like, oh, my God. The, there is nobody who can help with this 350-pound, <laughs> six-foot-six guy clearly on drugs. Um, so, anyway, I was a trained teacher. Yep, Kat, that's right. High oh, school yeah. teacher. Um, and so I, I finally, I was like, you know what? I got to do something. So I went to the back of the plane and I said to him uh, in my best teacher voice, I was like, you sit down, stop talking to other people, stop stripping, stop doing anything. I want you to keep your hands in your lap. And if you do that, we're going to go to Chicago and you're going to go off the plane in handcuffs in Chicago. If you don't do that, one more word out of you, one more little peep, and we're landing in Des Moines. Your ass is going to jail in Des Moines. And he <laughs> sat quietly the rest of the flight. And then when we landed, the police came on, put him in handcuffs, <laughs> took him off. <laughs> Good job. We it was like, choose your own prison. And he just picked Chicago over Des Moines. <laughs> he did. He did. I'm sorry, Des Moines. But um, yeah, that was what this dude, that, that was got, what got to him. And then um, the other two flight attendants quit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they didn't yeah, that away. was it. No, no. Get him in. Get him in. That's... I love that that it's like it was like that lady hooks in the old police academy movies, the little soft spoken black woman <laughs> oh, when yeah. she was finally head up, when she was finally fed up. No, cat. <laughs> what about you? You've flown a lot. What's the weirdest thing you've seen? I would say like the biggest asshole I've seen in the airport. It seemed somewhat harmless, but it was this woman pushing her like Louis Vuitton luggage all stacked up, like pushing it around the airport but not on a luggage cart, on a wheelchair, like one of the airport wheelchairs. And so a man from the airport came over to her and he was like, oh, miss, you know, you can't use the wheelchair for your luggage. And she just goes, oh, no, it's fine. No one was using it. And I thought, I hope not. <laughs> like, she thought people were worried because like, someone was using it we're like what we think you like dumped a body out of this wheelchair to put your bags on top God, that's such a great like just answer it's like that old day <laughs> joke i'm sorry officer i didn't know i couldn't do that it's <laughs> yeah. like, what? no yeah. you can't do that this has been a wonderful wonderful discussion sarah i cannot thank you <laughs> for being a part of this that's all the time we have for today thank you to our guests kat and sarah and thank you all for going beyond the scenes with us. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Roy and Kat. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We don't care where you get your podcasts. Just listen to it. Dr. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.